Good morning, church. So today's Bible reading is from Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 to 13, and it will be on the screen behind me. So starting at chapter 6, verse 5. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Do keep the conversation going after our time together. Grab a coffee. It's lovely and warm in the building today, so stay here as long as uh, you feel the need to. Do take your seat and grab the talk outline if it's helpful. I want to tell you three things uh, as we begin, just as a so you know. Firstly, um, next week I'm having two Sundays away. We're going to Mount Gambia. And so um, Mark Curran and Darren Oster from Trinity Church Mobbury are going to be preaching Psalm 19 and Psalm 119 for the next two weeks. So expect to hear from them. I'm sure it'll be wonderful. Um, the week after that, or two weeks after that, I'll be back and we're going to dig into God's character and look at who God is and uh, look at the, the nature of God's um, triune. Look at God being Trinity. There you go. Um, so that's two weeks after that. And then on the last week of July, the combined service is here. So a bit all over the place. Uh, not what we normally do. We normally walk through part of the Bible chunk by chunk, but for the next few weeks we're jumping all over, so look forward to that. But letting you know, uh, I won't be here for two weeks. But today, uh, it's a joy to be able to look at prayer. Um, if you can just put the mouse back on the screen so I can click, that would be really helpful. Uh, thank you. But you know, prayer is, uh, according to those that are in the know, the most common faith practice in the world. Prayer begins Parliament in Australia. You often hear prayer at weddings and funerals. And since COVID, prayer has gone up by 40% across the globe. Interesting. For those of my generation, good old millennials and below, the most two frequent kinds of prayer are for sleep and peace. Interestingly, those in, that are older than me, only 1% of you ever pray for that. There you go. I pray when I run. Even those that do not believe in God often admit to praying at certain times in their life. They didn't really think about it. They just find themselves doing it and going, what happened? Prayer is the most common faith practice in the world. But is Christian prayer different and effective? You have to click through, please, Joe. It's not working. Uh, is Christian prayer different and effective? Listen to how Jesus taught his followers how to pray. This, then, is how you should pray our Father in heaven, may your name be holy, or hallowed be your name. It's an old way of saying holy. Today, I want to look at prayer from a few angles, all the while lingering over two words, our Father. I want to keep coming back to it, because I think 
that understanding Christian prayer hinges on that, our Father. Firstly, they tell us something of how we relate to God. In prayer, we're not relating to a thing, we're not really relating to a force. Who wants to pray to a thing? Rather, we relate to God, our Father. We can enjoy a close, intimate relationship with Him as His child. Therefore, Christian prayer is from the position of being a child of God and it's not private either. Jesus is talking to all his followers at this point, our Father. Prayer is a reminder that it's personal and together. Our faith spills over into every part of our life, even prayer. Prayer is something to do with God's people, we'll do it later today. We do it together, we do it alone, we do it in our families, we do it among friends. And just as a conversation is more than passing on information, and you build a relationship not just by talking the whole time, so too prayer is a conversation we have with God, and the Bible, God's word to us, is the conversation he's having back to us as well. It is a book designed to deepen your relationship with God, your Father. It's a way to remind you that God is present and active through his word. In fact, the primary way that God has always communicated to his people is with words. Not seeing him doesn't mean he's not there. So let me ask you a question. When was the last time God spoke to you? The answer is 23 seconds ago when I read that verse. For example, I will say to Natasha, every day I love you. Now after 15 years, soon to be 16 next Friday, it's not new information. But she never complains when I tell her that. And that's a good thing. But it's reassuring for her, right? And therefore, as God's people, every day, your sin and my sin gives us a reason to feel insecure and wonder if God really does still love us. But through his word, we're reminded and reassured of his love over and over and over. And in prayer, you can converse with that God who has made you for himself and who loves you to bits. In prayer, you find a joy to, part, to cast your burdens on someone who can carry them and remove them and who what, what gives back to you is life. Therefore, today, I want you to think about prayer as a way to enjoy relating to God, your Father, through his Son, by his Spirit. Is prayer a joy to you? And I pray it would be. Except, I'm very aware that this invitation to pray first thing in the morning, with the notifications beeping and the kids crying and the burnt toast, is often the last thing that you want to do. I'm very well aware that resolving to pray at night time is often met with, Dear God, Amen, I'm very aware that in the middle of your day you'll think to pray and you'll think, I should pray now, and then your email goes or they call out your coffee order and on you go. And you think, well, I'll do it later. I'm very aware that there are distractions and times of darkness to prayer. And with that in mind, I want to look at three conversations we have with God, our Father, and keep looking at God, our Father, as we talk about these conversations. There's three of them. I call them pit prayers, I call them groaning prayers and I call them distracted prayers. And we'll look at each of them in turn. Pit prayers is the first one. Do you know there's a kid's book and you may have read it called Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. Do you know it? It was a very old book actually. Um, It's a sorry tale of this little boy who has a terrible day he'd rather forget. He loses his marble, he gets squashed in the car ride to school, he doesn't have his best friend to play with, he, he gets to have lima beans for dinner, his bath is cold and the cat doesn't want to sleep with him and poor Alexander has a day he just wants to forget. And the last line in the book 
says, some days are like that, even in Australia. And grown-ups, we have days we'd like not to repeat either, even in Australia. And David, who wrote this in Israel all these years ago, had a day he wanted to forget too. And on this particular terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day, David said, how long, O Lord, will you forget me? Forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Now, David's bad day is one of feeling forgotten by God. It's a day of extremes because he says forever. It's a day of depressing lows as he wrestles with his inner voice and thoughts. It's a day filled with sadness and even external pressure of those who dislike him are getting him down. David prays from a pit. But notice the one thing, the one thing David has got going for him on a day like this, he tells God exactly how it is. Rather than running away from God, he runs to God and prayer is the vehicle that gets him there. And then after saying this, very, very soon, David reminds himself that while he's in the pit, troubled by everything in life, because he has God, hear this, he has more going on than he can imagine. Two verses later, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. Unable to trust his thoughts, he can trust the assuring love of his God. With a heart in turmoil, he's found an anchor in the goodness of God. And with nothing good going on, he can still sing of God's salvation because that never changes, doesn't depend on him. David is reminding himself of what he believes and what is true. What counts in prayer? It's not the location, it's not how you feel, it's not the words you use, it's the love of the Father. Which means a pit prayer, addressing God and how you feel, has got more going on for it than you'd imagine. Which leads us to the next type of prayer, and I call that a groaning prayer. If you are a Christian, it's pretty obvious that you're not spared the frustration in life. You groan, we groan as people You groan when you get older. You groan when you bend and stretch. Other times, your groaning is more profound than just getting a little bit older. You groan after losing a job. You groan after the miscarriage. You groan when sickness and relationships come and break down. Everyone groans because we know things are not as they should be and we groan. But in Romans 8, we're told two things about groaning that's unique to a Christian who calls God our Father. Consider the first unique aspect. In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with wordless groans. And he who searches our heart knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. God's Spirit groans with us and for us. Think back to Psalm 13. David is doubting God's nature and character, but just by praying, he's actually experiencing God's presence by his Spirit. If you've ever prayed in weakness, be assured the Spirit of God is with you. If you've ever doubted God and prayed in that moment, the Spirit is with you. If you've ever groaned at life, the Spirit is groaning with you too. But God doesn't groan broken like you do, we do. He's groaning as one who feels pain alongside us. You see, in prayer, we're reminded that God doesn't just sit with us in the pit, 
but he groans with us, hearing and understanding every groan we make, which is the second point. Christians are also to able, can groan. Christians are able to groan looking forward, not just back. We can groan looking forward, not just back. In the Romans 8.23, not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruit to the Spirit, groan inwardly as we eagerly await eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. Therefore, we know that things aren't as they should be, and you feel that, I'm sure, but as a Christian, we know that things aren't as they will be. Aren't as they will be. This dual perspective is unique to the Christian faith. Because the Spirit gives us a taste of what is to come when Jesus wipes away all your tears and makes everything new. He's the first fruits of that. Consider, sometimes my kids come in the kitchen and they say, hmm, that smells good, what is it? They don't do it when I cook, they do it when Natasha cooks. And more often than not, Natasha says, ah, let me give you some to try. And they try some. Do you know what they say to her cooking? Oh, when can we have more? Yum. And so too, the Spirit is our foretaste of God and what life will be like with Him with no more frustration and groaning. Oh, it tastes good. When do we get more? Well, later on. Not in this life. But you'll get it soon. Just think back to those two words, our Father. Our Father. Do you realise... Jesus is saying our Father and he includes himself now. Our Father. Do you realise that the disciples and Jesus and you and me are being called you're relationally united to God together. That the intimacy between Father and Son that's existed in heaven for all eternity continues on earth through prayer. And you're invited into that intimacy of the triune God when you pray our Father. We pray because Jesus gives us access to God, our Father, removing any barrier and sin or groaning or or anything from us. And when life gets tricky, even if you're in the pit, the Spirit is helping you pray to God, even as you groan, even in the pit, and even as you're distracted. This is the last one. I always remember this line from C.S. Lewis, who wrote the Narnia books, um, And he said this, not in Narnia, but he said this, the real problem of the Christian life comes every single morning when you wake up. All your wishes and hopes for the day rush at you like wild animals. And your first job every morning consists simply of shoving them back and then listening to the other voice, taking that other point of view, letting that other larger, stronger, quieter life come flowing in. And he's referencing God. You see, as tempting as it is to stop praying when you're distracted and say, ah, I'll do it later, that is a reminder that you need God's grace, that you are spiritually needy to do something as simple as prayer. The moment you pray, you realise you need God's help to even do something as simple as that. Whether God feels absent, whether you feel God's presence, whether God is being crowded up by the day's tasks and distractions. Remember Romans 8.26, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Every time you pray, you are weak because you need God's help just to do something like that. Think back to the Lord's Prayer when Jess read it out. Jesus tells us two things not to do when we pray before he tells us how to pray. He says, don't pray to impress anyone else. You don't need to. Secondly, you don't have to nag God either with all your words. Jesus is telling us how uncomplicated prayer should be. The first thing he says is just remember God your Father. 
Your life is ordered under his loving rule and care. Your father's never distracted or tired. Your father is never bothered or busy by you. To say our father is the reminder that you have all you need already. So sit, relax, bring everything to him, even a distracted mind because he won't mind. Now I have one final thought. How father prayers. God is of course neither male nor female, God is spirit, John tells us. But God chooses father as a metaphor to relate to his people. It's a good one. But I recognise that in that phrase, our father, it might be very confronting and uncomfortable. We hear this and we can project our earthly father experience onto God. It might be painful memories bringing to mind of someone who didn't look after us. Or make us think of a patriarchal system where men would power and privilege and at the expense of others. But the Bible presents God's fatherhood not as an oppressive authoritarian persona, rather where to see the image of a father's deep love for his children. You see, the, the language of fatherhood, it talks about the kind of relationship that's always existed among the Trinity, Father, Son, Spirit, and offered to us. Consider, in the Old Testament, there is only 15 verses that speak of God being a father. By the time you read through Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, you've hit 170 verses that reference God being father. Jesus calls himself the son of God, implying the father relationship numerous times as well. The point in this is that God has never not been father. The son has never not been the son. But when Jesus came to earth, both as God and a human, the relationship that always existed took on a new form. And Jesus is making sure that he fills our vision of what it means to call God Father with his character, nature, life, love and service. Any picture of God as Father that leads to you thinking a dominating, cruel, oppressive figure is far from what Jesus shows us. There is great hope when you let Jesus define the relationship with God for you. The Son of God is calling you and me to be sons and daughters of his Father. Jesus calls us to take a place alongside him. Jesus is asking to look up to him as our older brother who comes out of heaven to find lost, wayward, wandering people so we can enter into and enjoy an intimate relationship with God, a relationship that Jesus and the Father and the Spirit have always had, one he's inviting us into, in which the Son loves you to bits, the Father loves you to bits, and the Spirit loves you as well. And that's why Christian prayer is so remarkable. You're invited to pray to a welcoming, forgiving, gracious Father who gave up his Son, who hears our prayers, who speaks back to us through his word and whose spirit groans with you in the pit and in the highest mountain. Therefore, would you enjoy the gift of prayer this week? Would you consider praying for your workplace like we talked about? Would you consider the intimacy of God, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit that you're invited into every time you pray and just be amazed? because I want to pray like that, and I'm pretty sure you do as well. Therefore, let me pray. Our Father, you are holy, triune, eternal, yet you invite us into your eternal relationship through Jesus so that we can pray to you as Father with Jesus as our big brother and the Son of God through the Spirit. Therefore, this week, in all our groanings and sitting in the pits, all the joys and highs, may we be reminded of the absolute privilege of praying to you, our Father, in Jesus' name, by the Spirit. Amen.